what happened to Jesus almost 2,000 years ago? Plenty of Christians and people who aren't Christians agree that there was a Jewish rabbi named Jesus. Plenty of them agree that on the Sunday before he died, the crowds in the city of Jerusalem welcomed him as a king or messiah. We talked about that last week, how at the beginning of the week, the religious authorities began to plot against Jesus. They felt challenged by him. And by Friday of that same week, the occupying Romans executed Jesus by nailing him to a cross. This type of execution is something the Roman rulers did to criminals. And the passage we just heard read covers the rest of that fateful week. Jesus was buried in a tomb and stayed there throughout Saturday. Those tombs, those ancient tombs, would be cut into a rock, almost like a cave, and they would place bodies inside. Sometimes they would place a large rock over the entrance to the tomb to prevent grave robbers from stealing anything. Sometimes, if someone was really important, they might station guards at the entrance so that there was no chance to steal the body. And whether you're a Christian or not, you can believe everything I've said so far. That he was welcomed on Sunday, that he was challenged Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. You can believe that the religious authorities plotted to kill him, that they got the Roman occupiers to execute him, and that he was buried on Saturday. You can believe all of that. But then Sunday comes, and you have to ask, what happened? Did a fraud named Jesus trick his disciples into believing a lie? Was that the day that gave birth to a conspiracy theory? Or was it an inspiring story, a useful myth? Was it a way for people to cope with the loss of their beloved leader? What happened on Sunday? What if something a lot stranger happened? Because on Saturday, we know that a few of the Jewish women who followed Jesus uh, prepared spices to, to embalm Jesus' body, but Saturday is a day of rest for the Jews. So they, they spent that entire day not working, but early on Sunday morning, Jews call the first day of the week, this group of women go to treat the body of Jesus. And presumably they don't know all of these precautions have been taken, like a stone that has sealed the entrance to the tomb. They don't know that there are guards stationed outside of the tomb. They think that they're going to embalm or prepare the body of their dead leader. And then they arrive on the scene. They walk closer and closer to the tomb entrance. The stone is rolled away. The guards are lying on the ground unconscious, and they look inside, and it's empty. And while they're wondering about that, two angels, messengers from God, appear to them and say, why do you look for the living among the dead? 
There's a, a book written for Christian parents called the Jesus Storybook Bible, and it tries to help you understand, for, for your kids to understand what these stories actually mean and how they actually go. And the angels in the Jesus Storybook Bible say, this is a tomb, and tombs are for dead people. I love how sassy they are. They're so sarcastic. This is a tomb, and tombs are for dead people. Why do you look for the living among the dead? And they say, just remember what Jesus actually told you. Right? He said he would be handed over to sinners, he would be crucified on Friday, and then on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. And if Friday's the first day, and Saturday's the second day, and the third day is when he's raised, oh my goodness, that's today. And the women all of a sudden remember all of these things. They remember that Jesus actually forecasted and prophesied this. And so they run back to the remaining disciples, tell them this incredible story, and what do they do? They think it's ridiculous. Some passages, some versions say it's nonsense. This is idle talk. This is not a true story. Except there was one disciple who was curious. That was Peter. He ran to the tomb, and the Bible says that he is amazed at what had happened. And at this point, guess what? Even if you're not a Christian, you can believe exactly what those 11 disciples believed. It's an empty tomb so far. Maybe someone stole the body. Maybe this is a made-up story. Maybe this is a, a metaphor. But surely there's no way that this could be a true story. But you've got to ask about what happens next. So if you can turn in your Bibles to Luke uh, chapter 24, we're going to continue in that story starting in verse 13. Luke chapter 24 starting in verse 13. If you have uh, one of these black Bibles or in the pew racks in front of you, we'll be on page 920. 920. Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 13. This is after the women have gone and told the other disciples that the tomb is empty. Peter has checked it out himself. And all we know is that the tomb is empty. Then verse 13 happens. It says, That very day on Sunday, two of them, that's two of the disciples, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. Okay, so just so you know, Jesus had more than 12 disciples. There were crowds and crowds of disciples who followed him. And obviously, these Men, these, these two disciples, are walking away from Jerusalem, disenchanted that their leader has died. They're talking about everything that's happened. They followed Jesus for years. They gave away all this time to follow him. They were looking forward to the kingdom that he said he would establish. But he's dead. So all their hopes are dashed. And then... <laughs> Then verse 15 happens. Look back in your Bibles. It says, While they were discussing and talking together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. 
And Jesus says to them, What is this conversation which you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor? Some passages, some versions say, Stranger, are you the only stranger to Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? He says, have you been living under a rock? And Jesus is like, well, technically I was. Where have you been? You must be a stranger. And Jesus is like, well, yeah, technically I'm not from around here. And he says to them, what things? And they say to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which they said to Jesus of Nazareth, he was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and, and all our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be contempt, condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped, look in verse 21, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since this happened. You can hear the despair in their voices. You can tell how, how their hopes have been crushed. We had hoped. We had anticipated. We had looked forward to the fact or the hope that Jesus would redeem Israel. And you may not be familiar with that word, redeem. We, don't, we may not use it as much anymore. But biblically speaking, redeem means to set free, to liberate slaves. And so what they're saying is, we had hoped that Jesus would liberate us from the Roman oppressors. We had hoped that, but he died, and he can't do that now because he's in a tomb. And they go on in verse 22, look, at, look back at your Bibles. They say, moreover, some of, some of the women in our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and they didn't find his body. They came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that Jesus was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see Jesus. They're recounting the resurrection of Jesus to Jesus. They're telling him the tomb is empty. And he's like, yes, I'm aware. And Jesus just takes over from this point. He cannot let them embarrass themselves anymore. In verse 25, Jesus says to them, O foolish men, slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ, the Messiah, should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He says, the Messiah was supposed to die. This was prophesied beforehand. Y'all are totally wrong in thinking that this was a failure. It was a fulfillment of Scripture. And then, as he's explaining all of these things, they still don't recognize him. They're like, man, this guy really knows his Bible. He really knows what this is talking about. We should, we should have him over for dinner. We want to keep this conversation going. They do invite him to have a meal. He does sit down with them and look in verse 30. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it. 
broke it and gave it to them. And finally, in verse 31, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And this last phrase is really important. And he vanished out of their sight. They don't recognize his voice. They don't recognize his appearance. They don't recognize his mannerisms. They don't even recognize him when he's explaining that the Bible is all about him. But they finally recognize him when he breaks bread. And as soon as they do, Jesus vanishes. This story is so important if you want to understand what Christians believe about what happened on Sunday 2,000 years ago. This is not a metaphor. This is not a nice, uplifting story. This is not about a fresh start on life. They are talking to someone who died two days earlier. This man is somehow on his two feet talking before them. And, and the incredible thing is, he's back from the dead. This is not a coping mechanism to make themselves feel better. They believe he has been resurrected. They believe that he lived, that he died, and that he got up on Sunday. And if you think that's strange, I'm going to go one step stranger, okay? Jesus wasn't just resuscitated back to life. He was resurrected. And in the Bible, there's a massive difference between the two, right? Medical doctors, if they resuscitate someone, that's incredible. They've come back to life. But guess what happens to resuscitated people? They die again. But Jesus, when he's resurrected, he's not coming back for round two. He's never going to die again. In, in, in the book of Revelation, the final book in the Bible, Jesus says, Behold, I am alive forevermore. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. God did not use a divine defibrillator and resuscitate Jesus. He raised him from the dead. He's back for good. And if you need any proof, any signs that this is a special kind of resurrection, look at all of the different scenes that have taken place just around his resurrection. He is somehow unrecognizable in conversation with men he knows, who know him, who have been following him. He can also vanish into thin air, which seems like a new ability, right? He can appear where he wants to appear. He is not defined by physical location. He is risen in a new and powerful way. The Apostle Paul calls Jesus the first fruits of those who have died. And Paul doesn't mean that Jesus is the only one who's ever come back from the dead. He means he's the first of his kind. Wesley Hill, a theologian and professor, reminds us of this. He says, Usually we picture Christ in the garb of his earthly ministry. We imagine his sandaled feet caked with dust, his tunic very drab, his beard a bit unkempt. We picture how he needed to eat and sleep and occasionally retreat from the crowds to rest. And all of these things have a central place for Christians. But this is what Wes Hill says. He says, we shouldn't make the mistake of thinking that that's how Jesus looks and behaves now. He says, we need to contemplate Jesus in his present 
glory. A glory that outshines his ministry on earth like fireworks outshine a candle. What happened to Jesus that day was not a resuscitation. It was a resurrection. It was something new, never before seen. And the, and the final amazing thing about what happened on Sunday, what Christians believe happened on Sunday, is that his resurrection means your redemption. His resurrection means that all of us can be redeemed. Right? The disciples said, oh, we had hoped that Jesus would redeem us, liberate us from our Roman oppressors. And Jesus says, I'll do you one better. I'll redeem you from death. I'll liberate you from the shackles of death itself. I will defeat death. I will be raised again and never die again. And I can offer that to you. That's, that's what he's promising. That's what his resurrection means. It is not a, a nice story or a metaphor. It's not a brief resuscitation or the last of its kind. We believe that what happened on Sunday 2,000 years ago is a true story, a resurrection, and the first of its kind. Paul says his resurrection is the first fruits, but it's not the last fruits. We get to experience his resurrection. We have the incredible opportunity today to see how what happened to Jesus directly affects the life of a person in this room. Today, Chris Obaye is getting baptized. And if you're not familiar with baptism, it's, it's when someone officially and publicly commits to following Jesus. In baptism, you receive the Holy Spirit, God's empowering presence. He receives new life today. And he receives the promise that one day he will rise again. Because Jesus already rose. And if you're not a Christian today, you may, not, you may believe what happened on Palm Sunday and the rest of that week through Good Friday and Holy Saturday, but you don't believe what happened on Easter Sunday. But ask yourself, if he really was raised, if he truly defeated death, do you want what he has to offer? Because he didn't liberate Israel from the Romans, but he has redeemed us. Ask yourself, if that's really what happened on Sunday, what should you do next? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this incredible good news that you yourself came in flesh among us. You lived and taught and healed and performed all kinds of miracles. You died for the forgiveness of sins, but you did not stay dead. You were raised, and behold, you live forevermore. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen.